Greetings and welcome back to Everyman Global Live series. My name is Egypt McKee. We'll be continuing our study on leadership in the new series entitled That Guy. If you've been with us thus far in the previous four lessons, we've been looking at different levels of leadership in the lives of men throughout scripture, beginning with King Saul and moving on to the centurion soldier and Ananias and Saul, and then even an unknown servant uh, we saw in the previous lesson in 1 Samuel. Uh, some of the things we've been learning thus far are really specific to not only what does leadership look like in me, what does it look out like outside of me, but what is my role as a leader and why has God provided or developed or created in me a sense of leadership that I actually have to do something with it as a man of God uh, to lead others to him. You know, I love what uh, John Maxwell said, said everything rises and falls on leadership and he is so spot on in that. So listen, before we end our the final lesson today with uh, a man that I'm not sure you would consider uh, a noteworthy man to learn leadership from, um, but I believe the scriptures is going to reveal something to us today that we're all going to take as men of God and be able to reproduce in our lives the kind of maturity in our faith, the kind of obedience that God requires of us uh, so that we can actually see the fruit of God not only bear itself in our lives, but in the lives of others. So before we get started, what I'd like to do is encourage each of you to go ahead and download the notes by clicking download notes. And uh, this is a very important step because you're going to hear a lot of anecdotes and perspectives and, and some extra things that uh, you're not going to be able to see in your outline. And you, you certainly may not even remember them. They may be something that, uh, sparks you for the moment, but they're not going to necessarily stick with you. And having the notes page and writing down in your own language something that you can come back and study with will be the thing that just might get you over the threshold. So listen, as we begin today, what I'd like to do is begin with a, a question like I always do. And uh, this question is really specific to you as a man. I'm wondering how much of your life can you honestly say as a man of God, I have placed myself in a position where my obedience is going to and has produced the kind of fruit that God wants to see in me. You know, it, it's, it's the question. What have I done with my life that God is producing fruit in me? And if he's producing fruit in you, it helps me to have the perspective where I can see things and reflect upon things in an appropriate manner because I see the true state of who I am versus what God's attempting to do and what God desires to do in me if I would simply be obedient. So another question as you really think about that, I wonder how you reconcile the things in life that you don't understand because quite frankly, life is loaded with lots of things that I simply don't understand. I'm not the expert on everything. As a matter of fact, I'm not the expert on most things. And I want to be in a position of understanding and learning and continual learning, but that still doesn't mean that in the limited amount of years that I will have on planet Earth that I'll somehow attain a level of understanding and knowledge and wisdom that would make me at the top of this mountain have of 
having achieved something that God sees as credible or he sees as respectable. And I think as men, that's one of the things that we often struggle with is earning the respect, not only in our own homes, but earning the respect with our peers, earning the respect in our careers, earning respect with our customers, earning respect in our ministries, earning respect with everything we do and in every circumstance for which we've been placed. It's a tough thing earning respect. But what you're going to see today is a man who is not only not respected, he was judged. And rightly so was he judged and he acknowledged <laughs> his, just, his judgment was just and that it was due. So there was no ambiguity or no misunderstanding, no weirdness about why am I here? But here's a man who recognized even in his worst hour as a man on planet earth, he was able to make a decision that would matter for all eternity. And that is my prayer for each of us today, is that we would come to a place that given our limited time, we would recognize where we are, who we are, why we are, and make the kinds of decisions that would influence us and impact us and those around us for all eternity. So, in previous lessons, I mentioned to you leadership in the sense of what it is and where it resides in am i a leader because someone said that you're appointed the project manager or you're the coach or you're the person who's responsible for chairing a committee or you know you can you can look at all levels of leadership but regardless of your position or your participation god has created each of us as men to be leaders we are demonstrating leadership in a variety of ways by the simple fact that we're breathing today and we're awake and we're alive, it takes a leader to follow Jesus, to be a, an effective man of God, to follow the Lord. It takes a leader to do that. It's not just that following is a, a vain, empty, uh, cognitive decision that is made that, oh, I'm just going to follow this person because they make me feel good, or I'm going to follow this person because uh, they told me to, or I was coerced in doing so. But because we are convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we have a faith that demands our obedience. We have a faith that demands that we, we demonstrate leadership, the love of Jesus, the leadership of Jesus Christ in serving others and loving others and honoring others, but also being true to others on this planet because the gospel message is clear and it takes leadership to effectively live it and to demonstrate it, to believe it, and to follow it. And that's what we want to accomplish here today. So I want to begin, uh, before I begin with our first verse, I, I have a final question here is, and that's, what have you learned about yourself when it comes to the simple matter of taking responsibility? <laughs> I have heard this in so many different ways, more so recently than any other time in history. It seems like when someone is caught or busted for something they've done wrong, or maybe they, uh, they, uh, their sins were found out, or their cheating or their scandal was brought to bear, and the person will say, rather than, I'm sorry, or I will, I will take responsibility, they'll say, I take responsibility, but they never define or rarely define what take responsibility really means. So for you and I as men, particularly men of God, 
What does that mean? How do you respond to taking responsibility for your failures, for your sins? What does that mean in your life? Even as you kind of whisper the words to yourself as you're listening to me right now, this is probably the foundation of the place for which we want to stand to effectively walk through this final lesson in this series. Why? Because we're about to see the life of a man that no one would say, well, that's a guy I would follow. That's a guy I want to be like. That's a guy that has taught me something. As a matter of fact, you'd have every reason to say just the opposite. That's a guy, there's no way I'm listening to him. Or he's getting his comeuppance. He's getting what he deserved. And there's no way that this guy should be telling me anything. And there's nothing I can learn from him. Well, the Lord Jesus would actually flip the script on us and show us that our conventional thinking and our traditional thinking sometimes in certain ways, we've got ourselves so clamored inside of a small box in the corner of the room somewhere that we refuse to leave out because any thought or understanding greater in the sense that God wants us to be greater or he wants us to be humble, that he wants us to be honorable, he wants us to be true. Well, is that really true or, or, or have I placed a definition upon those things and that if I just live by my strict code of disciplines and, and tasks and behavior, that somehow God is uh, a respecter of my attempts to be efficient or my attempts to be a good behaved man. I don't think God's looking for us to be better broken versions of ourselves. I want you to think about that. God did not come to redeem us <laughs> so that we can be more efficient broken versions of ourselves. So if we just continue laying on duct tape and taping up those spots that are leaking, that are broken, that are exposed, and we look good to everyone else, that somehow that might be the goal. That's never been the goal. So follow along with me as we look at God's description and prescription for what leadership really is for us today. And it's found in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. This is a key core text for what we're going to be discovering today. Begins like this, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insert, insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our, de our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a powerful transaction that happened at a brief period of time of two criminals being hung to bleed and die out next to Jesus Christ, one on each side of him on the day of crucifixion. If there were ever a day that you ever wanted to meet the Lord, this was your last final opportunity, the day of your reckoning, the day of your worst, the day that you were about to leave this planet for all time. And both men knew it. Both were criminals, charged justly for their crimes. One had an attitude and a posture that was all about preserving the old way, the old days. 
If you're the son of God, he hurls at Jesus, really accusing a tone of condemnation from a condemned man. The irony of that, a condemned man trying to condemn Jesus on the cross. Think about where you're at, man. I mean, that's one of those bro moments. Like, bro, do you know where you're at? Do you know what happened to you? <laughs> do you know that you're hanging here next to Jesus on the cross, bleeding out? What a bad position for you to be hurling insults at the Lord. Whereas the other criminal, also justly condemned for his crimes, admittedly so, also recognizing, listen, he too is a man condemned on a cross, but recognizing the power and the authority of Jesus, that he had done nothing wrong, and that his authority would somehow be where the rubber met the road, where this man would have to recognize his opportunity for life was coming quickly to an end. So there are three things that we're going to capture here today. And this is a much shorter text, but I want to get right to it for the sake of today. As we look at the fifth lesson in this series, that guy, you want to recognize who that guy is and what kind of position you will be in to be that guy when called upon. So the three things we're going to cover is that your mess matters. Your mess. We're talking about actionable evidence of wrongdoing. I mean, the mess, somebody created it. And someone's got to take responsibility for it. Your moment matters. Seizing the opportunity. This is actionable perspective. Knowing when you have a moment and seizing it. And finally, your motives matter. Your motives always matter. This is actionable repentance. I mean, repentance isn't saying uh, publicly, uh, so-and-so needs to issue a public apology. Did you ever wonder what a public apology would ever accomplish? If that is the definition of taking responsibility, then we're all in trouble. Taking responsibility goes far beyond issuing a public apology that is, quite frankly, if we're being honest, a bit vain. It's a bit empty. It's only caving to a manipulative uh, requisition that someone is forcing you somehow to say you're sorry when you're really not sorry. It's kind of sorry, not sorry. Well, we want to be careful that our repentance is true. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, if, these, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You know, the Lord parses no words. He's very clear about what you do versus who you are and what the reality is. If we say we have no sin, such as the one criminal, you say you're the Messiah. He really was presenting his case to Jesus as a, an indictment, an accusation from a pious perspective, as if he's got room to talk. Like, listen, man, you are hanging on a cross, bleeding out, and you have the audacity to look at the Lord, an innocent man, in every regard possible, and insult him as if you're not a sinner. And then you ask him in your accusation, you request, you demand that he save you too. <laughs> you say you're the Messiah? Well, save yourself and us while you're at it. 
<laughs> as if Jesus has an incentive somehow to save a man who doesn't really want to be saved. He wants to be saved on his terms. And this is really the bold-faced position that we must be very careful as to how we approach Jesus in a spirit of humility, not a spirit of indictment and judgment. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor abandon you. Very specifically, some translations say, nor forsake you. I love the literal word of abandon, meaning to turn my back on you and leave you stranded. I mean, can you imagine being uh, in a car with uh, friends and you're driving out in the middle of what we call nowhere, wherever that is? There's a lot of middles of nowhere, out in the middle of the desert, out in the middle of the mountains, and somehow they throw you out of the car and take off. And it's 100 miles each direction before you get to the nearest phone or food or water or anything of the degree. Jesus does not abandon you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That's a powerful statement. Which leads me to my first point, and that is this. We must quickly ponder the evidences of our choices and belief. We have got to quickly understand who we are, where we are, and what time is it. What time is it? We need to know where we are, who we are, and what time it is because the clock is ticking. You know, in times of great urgency, great emergency, risk-reward goes out the window. I mean, we've all heard stories that are true about burning cars or burning homes and a parent or a neighbor running into a burning home to go find the, the child or, or an elderly person, someone who was incapacitated in that home and bringing them out, risking injury to themselves, burns, permanent scars. They didn't stop and say, well, you know, if I enter that house, you know, the, the temperature on the first floor is uh, just above the threshold for what I'm really willing to accept. And uh, if I do that, then, uh, you know, I'll lose my, my pants and that's just not going to work for me because I don't have a, an appointment with my tailor. No one goes through the infinite detail and dynamics of figuring out whether the risk is worth their time. They just respond. And in the same way as men of God, we want to quickly look at the evidence of our mess, the evidence of our doing, and recognize that, you know what? My sin is no different than your sin. My sin, oh, because uh, I sinned less? I want you to think about that as an argument. I didn't sin as much as my brother or my friend. Oh, what a position to take. I wonder, whoever wanted to be the best sinner that was condemned to hell? I want you to think about that. Who would ever want to be separated from God for all eternity because they are the best of all sinners? That is no award to take home and brag about. Scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Now come and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is an amazing thing. God always gives the opportunity, even when no opportunity seems to be clear. Come, let us reason together. The Lord is always trying to sit down with you, have a meal, have a discussion. In our pursuit, sometimes we want to be right and so in command 
to our own fault and our own detriment. It's tough being a man if we can't be right. Because in our rightness, we miss the mark sometimes. And we don't want that sometimes to be the time that matters most. Listen, time is short. And we, none of us has time to play around and mess around with the limited time that God has blessed us with here on planet Earth. Not a single one of us knows what tomorrow brings. We don't even know what five minutes from now brings. We can't even guarantee that we'll be alive five hours from now, five days from now, five years from now. We don't know. Scriptures reminds us in Hebrews 9.27, As it is appointed for man once to die, after this the judgment. It's plain and simple. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. It's, it's, you know, there's no, there's no way stations. You know, we have all kinds of competing uh, feel-good dopamine, you know, infused uh, ideologies. Oh my gosh, there's a way station. There's no way station, people. There isn't. Smack out of it, man. We know that we are either in the presence of the Lord or we're not in the presence of the Lord. There's a kingdom of heaven or a kingdom of hell. You are either a citizen of the kingdom of heaven or you will be a citizen of the kingdom of hell. But there is no way station. Listen, there are no ghettos in heaven. There ain't no suburbs you trying to get a, a kind of a third tier, some medium way station. God has not provided such a provision. He's made it very clear to you that he is... He has come to seek those who are lost and call them to repentance and call them to new life. And as a man of God, here we have the demonstration of a man who was a criminal on one side who accused God and another criminal equally and justly accused for his crimes but came to his senses. My second point is this. We must quickly understand what the right response is, the right response righteous response is. Don't waste your moment. That's the point I'm trying to make. Don't waste your moment trying to be right. Is it more important to be right or to remain married? Is it more important to be right or to be humble? Is it more important to be right or to be silent? Is it more important to be right or is it, or to talk to someone in private and make a correction on something that you disagreed with. Is it more important to be right or to argue? We've got to recognize the moment that God's placed us in and be sure that we are not pushing those who have limited time, even more so than we do, toward a direction where there is no recovery. You know, James 4.14 says, why you do not even know what tomorrow, what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Each of us has seen what a, a, a coffee pot or a teapot on the stove looks like when steam is coming up. And it's an easy reminder when you look at how long that steam stays around. It's here for a, not even a full second in some cases, and then it's gone. And when it's gone, it's gone forever. It's gone forever, and you don't even remember it. You don't say, oh my goodness, where's that steam? I, I want to bring back that exact steam. Where did it go? It's just gone. We don't know what's happening tomorrow. We don't know what's happening today. We don't know what's happening in the future. But we do know this. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't change with shifting winds, fads, cultures, trends. He doesn't change with all that stuff. He is the same, and we thank God that He is the same.
Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 says, Now all has been heard. <laughs> Here's the conclusion to the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. This is a powerful reminder to us of what our duty is. Literally, fear God, keep His commandments. You got a problem with that? I mean, think about it. Fear God, keep His commandments. Well, what's God's will for my life? Fear God, keep His commandments. Well, I don't know where God wants to lead me in my life. Fear God, keep His commandments. Well, I just don't really know how God wants me to respond in this, this situation. Fear God, keep His commandments. Come on, keep on bringing every response. Fear God, keep His commandments. You know, I think it was C.S. Lewis who made a very powerful remark about us coming to a place of reality of putting Jesus in a particular bucket. Either he's Lord, liar, or a lunatic. You've got to figure out for yourself where you place Jesus. It seems that the first abusive criminal hanging on the cross to one side of, the, of Jesus presumed that he was a liar. His attitude demonstrated that he was, he thought Jesus was a liar. But it was clear that the other criminal on the other side of Jesus had a completely different perspective. My third point is this, we must quickly weigh our integrity with God's holiness, then respond appropriately. Did you hear what I said? Quickly weigh our integrity with God's holiness. It's not we walk into God's holiness with our integrity and that's what we measure our decisions on. No, we, we measure our decisions in accordance with God's holiness and we respond appropriately. Maybe the right question in just about every situation might be, Lord, what is the appropriate response for me in this moment? It just might be that that is the right question that'll give you the right perspective so that you can respond with the right motives, the right intention, and the right purpose. You know, God is a God of order. So many in the world look at God as being an abstract construct, an abstract thought. He's just a, he's a made-up, fictitious man upstairs. They have all kinds of expressions for what they think God is. God is sovereign. He is holy. He is just. He's my creator, he's my redeemer, he's my, he's my Lord, he's my everything. He's my provider, he's my sustainer, he's my healer. I could go for days worshiping God for his holiness, his majesty, his authority. But God requires that we have integrity. And when I look at integrity as a brother relationship, a sister relationship within leadership, I look at it similar to a navel. You look at a naval uh, term, and I look at how these heavy ships weighing thousands of tons of steel, and they float on water. I, for the life of me, still don't get it. I, I would think that steel would just fall to the bottom of the ocean, but buoyancy allows for displacement of the water and the weight to maintain a balance above the water. That is an amazing thing. So where does integrity fit within this buoyancy word picture? I look at it as integrity being like sustained shape under all pressures. And you see that with a submarine that goes deep and deep and deeper into the water to maintain the integrity of the, the ship's hull. 
meaning that it's not being crushed, it's not being reshaped, it's not being warped in any way, shape, or form, but to maintain your shape as a man of God, your identity as a man of God, your hope as a man of God under all life's pressures and circumstances. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 through 8 talks about the different shifting trends in culture and life, the seasons of life. Listen, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. This is an amazing thing that under the sun there is nothing new that the Lord has seen or not seen. There's a season, an appointed time for everything under the sun. Scripture also reminds us in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call to me, this is God, call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. This is an amazing thing when you think about your perspective on knowing what you think you know believing what you think you believe, and just having the knock on all of it, and that no one can teach you anything new. As men, we sometimes fall into that trap, but I encourage you that you are not alone. We have all been in places and been in, them, in experiences where we've thought that we knew everything until God humbles us and teaches us something completely brand new that has always been there right up underneath our eyes. We just didn't recognize it. You know, amazing things when we come into the grand understanding of this two-pronged principle. One, there is a God, and two, it ain't you. It's as simple as that. There is a God, and it ain't me. <laughs> and when I get to that place that I know it's not me, God does the most amazing, indescribable work in and through me because it's not like I deserve it. It's not like I earned it somehow, and then I'm in a position where I've contributed to God's lordship, please. God has brought us through this journey of what it means to be that guy, not that derogatory guy, that wasted guy, the guy who's wasting his life. All of us in one way, shape, or form have regrets. Listen, this, isn't, this message isn't about regrets. This, this message is about who you are and what God's deposited into you so that he can activate that for his glory. So as we come to the conclusion here, let me take a recap of where we've been this week. We started out in the first lesson, we looked at leadership through the life of Saul, King Saul, Israel's first monarch. We, we learned that God's men are different. Then we went to the life of the Roman centurion, really Israel's military oppressive force, military force, a military officer. How in the world could we learn something from our enemies? Well, God showed us through the faith of a centurion, the amazing faith of the centurion that was even far above those of the leaders of Israel. Men are masculine. 
Men are masculine. That is not a dirty word. There's no toxic masculinity. That's the world's version of the decoupling of men from their purpose that God has created us for. You as a man of God are masculine and are to be masculine, are to live your life in such a masculine manner that God leads you to be the leader of other men and the leader of things as God has placed you in position there. In our third lesson with Ananias, we learned that you know, through the faithfulness and the obedience of Ananias, God's men are accountable. God's men don't just talk about it. They are accountable. And accountability is really calls you to task, to pull out the books. I always say, you know, the problem with the P&L, the profit and loss, no one manages from the L. We all manage from the P. That's the problem. You look at the L side, no one's, who wants to live their life managing it by the losses? We manage our lives from the P. God wants to grow and prosper us in accordance to his will and his purpose. Not for the sake of getting rich and being famous and being all the things that you think are important. Those things aren't important. They really aren't even relevant to God's authority and his power and his majesty. What is, is that we be faithful men as John 12, 32, Jesus said, and I, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And then in the last lesson we learn, by an unknown servant, an ally of David who talked him up, he was his hype man, his pitch man, before King Saul. The scriptures identify him as an unknown servant. We found that God's men are not always easily known. And then finally today, we find through the life of the other man on the cross when he said, Jesus, when you enter in your kingdom, remember me. Remember me. Now, wait a second. Here's a man who, who didn't tithe to the church. He didn't uh, serve in the parking lot ministry. He didn't uh, go on any missions trips. He didn't uh, read his Bible. He, didn't, he wasn't baptized. He, didn't, he wasn't uh, growing in his faith. He, he didn't go to seminary. He didn't have time for any of that. His repentance came in the way of two words, remember me. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. So we find here now that God's men respond quickly and everybody knows it. God's men recognize the moment and they respond. So being that guy means that God's men take responsibility for their life choices. You take real responsibility. Your mess matters. If it wasn't for your mess, I'm not sure we would ever pray. Think about that. If it wasn't for hard times, would we ever pray? Probably not. Being that guy also means that God's men disapprove of putting off important life decisions. We don't side with putting those things off that are really important. Your moment matters. Don't waste your moment. And finally, being that guy means God's men pivot quickly in repentance when the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit is acknowledged. You move quickly. You don't wait. I'll figure this out, Lord. Thank you for convicting me. I, I recognize my stuff. I'm going to get back with you. Can I book an appointment next week, 3 p.m.? Are you open then? No, your motives matter. Your motives matter. And you move quickly when God calls you. Listen, I have enjoyed this series with you. I pray that you too have enjoyed each of these lessons over the last several weeks. I pray that God is speaking to you in a very specific way 
about what leadership really means to be inside of you, to be around you, and to live through you. There are lots of things that we can put in the practice, but the practice is only one aspect. Remember, the Lord is not the rewarder necessarily of the doing. The motives and the intent and the character that we have in our doing and in our obedience really sets us apart as true men of God. So listen, I want to say thank you. Thank you for hanging in and hanging on. It has been an honor of mine, and I sure hope to come back again sometime in the future and be another blessing to you so that we can just travel on the next road uh, that God places before us. But before I even end this thing, let me say this. If you want more information about me, you want to know more things about me, find out about my background, maybe even get information on booking me for a special event or to come to your church or conference, please feel free to contact me at the information on the screen below. I'd be honored to speak with you or anyone uh, in your group. Listen, as I close this out in prayer, I just want to pray a special blessing over you as men that you take up the mantle that God has called you for and be faithful to it. Father God, I want to thank you for this series, That Guy. Thank you for the leadership that you have exposed in each of us and that you've revealed in each of us. And my prayer is that, Father, as the men listen to my voice right now, that it would not be about my voice, but it would be about your voice speaking directly to their spirit and that you would lead them in a direction that they would be powerful, valiant, courageous, honorable, and above all, humble men of God preaching the gospel, living the gospel in such a way that others' hearts would be drawn to you to have the same salvation hope that they have. We pray these things, we believe these things in the name of him who goes by the Hebrew name, Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, we pray. Amen. Thanks again, guys. I appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. I hope to see you again next time. But until then, be encouraged.